on record, I guess. Here's the official record conversation. Yeah, the, the conversation's on the record. It's not just that they're dumbed down. I think also American television is determined for the most part to make you feel good for people who are like objectively bad. And I really don't like that. It's weird because that, that definitely feels like a cultural thing. Hey, yeah. we've done some bad things, but you should still forgive us. I mean, look at the South. I mean, like, that's the American legacy in a nutshell is we've done some bad, but we still want all the credit like we did something good. And I think, like, that might be one of the reasons why I'm more okay with, like, Breaking Bad and, like, Mad Men and stuff like that. Because no one who's bad is rewarded, except for, like, maybe Draper at the end if you consider, like, living alone in a weird commune as you know a, a reward a yeah and then he makes the he jesus is up the most identifiable ad in history spoilers for Mad Men, i guess if you how long does that show have to go off the air i mean I, I don't really feel guilt so just in case you're going what the hell are they talking about we were talking about american television um yes for this episode, we are doing Flowers for Algernon, the short story by Daniel Keynes. Um, yes, and we do have to mention the short story because there is a novel that is somehow worse. And by worse, I mean sadder. So the reason we're doing the short story is one, it's short and our lives were tired. Um, and two, yes. because the novel most schools, at least at this point, are so frustrated with the novel that they just do the short story and we'll kind of go into mm-hmm. the banning and all that kind of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. We were talking about adaptations for television and stuff. We'll go into a little bit more of that later on, but there's a mm-hmm. really funny segment from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And um, Amanda and I were discussing the fact that, one, she doesn't like that show, but two, I can only watch that show in segments. Like, I think mm-hmm. Charlie Day is hysterical. But everyone mm-hmm. on that show is so awful that you're just kind of like, okay, I can't, I can do this. I can watch Kitten Mittens and then I mm-hmm. have to move on. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I only really know it's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, one from Binging with Babish because he's done like, him. I love Babby so much. Watched him make Babish, the tornado. Oh my Babish is not allowed to have any kind of like murky past because I've already lost Bon Appetit Test Kitchen. Like I can't lose Babby. Like I've already lost Bon Appetit. I'm miserable without them. But I am trying to dig in my heels. I'm also very much trying to separate myself from Harry Potter. And I think because... part we were talking about at least for Bon Appetit Test Kitchen for people who haven't mm-hmm. really been following and correct me if I'm wrong because I know you're more the expert on this one. They got in yes. trouble because they were not paying their people mm-hmm. of color who were basically coming in and rescuing people on shows. Um, yeah, they weren't. They weren't. They weren't paying their staff of color fairly for basically doing some like brown savior stuff. Like they'd always show like the white people struggling, and then like Sola, who's of color, would just like swoop in and like imagine they had to temper chocolate, but she never got paid for any of her on camera time, which like sounds ludicrous also a lot of the uh employees of color were like just comically underpaid like just like i think like i was making more money than some of them and i don't make that much like just comedically underpaid for some of them and it's all just so bad and then their their former editor-in-chief was like shown in blackface that was also a thing (laughs) 
yeah they, they can't they can't see me making the yikes face but the yikes face is there yeah it, it just it got really really bad and like it's only spiraled further like they renegotiated a contract not too long ago but like everyone is still seriously getting underpaid so actually a lot of the personalities that like made the bon appetit test kitchen famous are like hey we're not going to be on camera so bye it's like uh, but you were you were the reason uh we're not talking about the book because the book hurts yeah the, this the story hurts um in some good news there yes. is there is a cat in here um there is yeah there there is a croissant he's he's uh been hired to be the official office sleeper hello croissant hello i needed yeah. that it's been um for for those of us listening in the united states um we had a rough night Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, and uh, yeah. And despite the fact that you know when Obama was president and leaving office, Mitch McConnell was like, "We can't force a vote for a Supreme Court justice in an election year. That's not fair." To yeah, we're gonna force through the you know a new person. We're going. Yeah, we have her we have body like hasn't even gone through the three days of like ritual for freaking Jewish tradition like could you right. calm it down right like we have 45 days we're gonna just uh slapdash this together uh so we've been saying this every day of the pandemic but um we are tired we're more tired now because things are on fire and for some reason we decided to read what maybe one of the most depressing books we give to children and to echo last episode I'm not sure why we read this as children. Again, like with The Giver, what is the lesson that I'm supposed to, like like 12-year-old Amanda, what lesson am I supposed to draw from this narrative? What is the moral? Like, what is this supposed to be teaching me outside of maybe mice or chill? Well, especially when you're in like junior high and you're reading this and your writing is, and, and I'll kind of go into this, your writing is actually more functional than Charlie Gordon's, but your teacher mm-hmm. marks you down and then makes you read this book and goes, oh, look, this is a an incredible work, even though things are intentionally misspelled this entire thing and it's written in your gibberish. And you're going- and you hate school for a minute because it's like, why did you trick me? It's also like I had a, a teacher in uh, honors English, and I want to say it was junior year, and he was he was an interesting person. But we found a short story that he published online that was basically a sexy short story, and then proceeded to read it in class and advise him he could never mark us down again because his writing was terrible. Cool. I would love but to do that. He didn't care. He was a stone art. Didn't we have no creative title because the the story is too sad. We'll get there. Uh, what are we eating and drinking today? Um, I ate a tortilla, and now I'm having uh, cranberry juice because it was in the fridge. A whole ass tortilla. I'm so proud of you. Not a whole ass tortilla. Up. I heated it up. Oh! Uh, I have some red dragon mustard cheddar on the plate with a ciabatta roll and Welch's grape juice, which is hilarious considering that this time last week, I could not eat because I'm recovering from norovirus. <laughs> yeah, that was rough. 
uh tori how how ready to die was i this time last week you were pretty much like lord take me now i've had a full run please don't make me throw up anymore yeah zero out of ten do not recommend norovirus during a pandemic um though shout out to whatever medication my doctor gave me that made me stop throwing up and immediately just go to sleep (laughs) i feel like it's like the benadryl version of anti-nausea meds like you can't throw up if you're unconscious (laughs) If you're in a coma, nothing's coming out of your stomach. Like Right. Um, but also there's nothing like being sick for that long to like reset your palate. So I now am having those moments that you have where you're like Remy from Ratatouille and like everything just like tastes extra good. Like when I could keep saltine crackers down, I have never appreciated saltine crackers. It was like that scene in Aristocats with creme de la creme de la Edgar. And it's like a yeah. fucking Ritz cracker and some watery-ass dairy product, and just, like, savoring this shit. When I recovered a couple days from my surgery, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, Gatorade, like the lemon lime, it's just an explosion in your mouth, and then- Oh my god, Uh, Glacier Cherry Gatorade, not yet a sponsor, but if you want to talk to us, Gatorade, fucking, oh- Here's a moment in a minority sickness shopping. Uh, I had a I had someone deliver groceries to me because I'm a responsible person and not going to fucking HEB with norovirus. <laughs> uh, and they called like, "Hey, I have a substitution. Just making sure that I can make it." And I'm like, "Do you have the ginger ale?" And my driver's like, "Yes." It's like, "What kind?" <laughs> it's like, "I have Schweppes." I said, "Please go back and get Canada Dry," <laughs> because Canada Dry is medicine. Schweppes is a bastardization, and any person of color who's ever been sick knows that if you are sick in the house, you get lime sherbet, you get saltine crackers, and you get Canada Dry. I don't know if ours was like an English or a South thing, like a white Southern thing, because it was toast cut in three pieces, Mm -hmm. and then it was a cup of tea. And what I loved was when I got sick in the 80s, that cup of tea had the NutraSweet tablets that my mom would put in it. Like is like not to, good for you. Well, now we know that, but it was like say. it was <laughs> maybe my no my mental health issues have to do with like generations of insanity. Um, no, mm. but there were like it was like a little container. It looked like almost like a tic tac box, but you press yeah. the button on the top and a, a little pill came out of the bottom and it was instant sweetener. And she'd be like, you can use one, and then you'd like do two, and then be like, here you go. See, that just reminds me of, um, okay, you're old enough to remember this. Do you remember um, Olesteen? I do. So for our listeners who are not fucking old, um, <laughs> Olestra was a product that was used to, like, make foods fat-free or, like, lower fat. Because during, like, the 90s and into the 2000s, there was this huge craze of, let's try to make this healthy by making it the most unhealthy. Like, we had those, like, 100-calorie packs of cookies that you'd eat, like, 10 of, so you might as well just, like, eat a fucking cookie. (laughs) Uh, So, Olestra, or Olean, it was mostly on, like, potato chips and stuff. And fun fact, it exited your body in the most violent way. Like, there is no human on Earth that could process Olestra 
like it's, it's like the propulsion gel from portal 2 if you're a gamer yeah it just and i'm i'm trying to be chill because we're not that podcast but it leaves your body violently and there's it, just all these hilarious stories like the sugar-free gummy bears on Amazon. That's what I was just going to say. If you ever get a chance, look at the sugar-free gummies on Amazon. And it's just like the same information. I almost want to try it. I won't. But like, I think this is as close to like white woman don't go into the basement that I've ever gotten. Is like, I get tantalizingly close. It's like, everyone is experiencing this and I want to understand why. My My thing lately has been okay so I don't mess with Ouija boards I have friends who think that's funny I have friends who are like yes don't touch it part of me Mm -hmm. is like so self-destructive right now I just want to get one of those planchets that they had in France where you put the pencil in and just be like go yeah I'm gonna go ahead and advocate for you not to do that why don't you just tolerate and deal with your trauma like most people where either you have like really really destructive hate sex or you spend too much money like I've been doing you know, like normal people deal with their trauma. Do you want to talk about a sad man and his rat? Yeah. It's, he's a mouse. We know he's a mouse. So short story long is really funny because it's almost longer than the actual short story. Yeah, I think somehow you've managed to make this longer than the actual book. Which, or narrative, forgive me. Kawa roll, evidently. Mm-hmm. So on his birthday, Charlie Gordon begins to write down everything that is happening happening to him per his doctor, Dr. Strauss. Charlie cannot spell and writes most things down phonetically to get his point across. On the second day of his progress reports, he advises that he took a raw shock test, but he thinks he failed because all he could see were ink blots on a page, and he thinks if he had glasses, it might have helped more. He's trying to qualify for something that he doesn't know what it is, and his nerves are very evident. He takes another test, which is a thematic apperception test, which he actually, you know, writes down because he asks how to do it, where he's supposed to make up stories about the pictures that he sees, but he's not sure how he's supposed to do that. Mm -hmm. He feels like it's lying. He gets a few additional tests and ends up meeting a lab rat named, or a lab mouse in this case, named Algernon. And you had a point about the name Algernon. I did. Uh, Algernon is a given name, which derives from the Norman French... uh, French name basically meaning with mustaches and that just makes me so happy I just I, put a mustache on this mouse that would make the book so much more tolerable if Algernon had a little like little mustache anyways so Algernon yes a mouse beats Charlie at all sorts of maze tests two doctors argue over whether to use Charlie in an experiment but ultimately he's chosen due to the fact that he has good motivation The experiment Mm. is evidently designed to make someone smart. Mm -hmm. As he prepares for surgery, nurses give him candy like a little kid and try to keep him calm. He's worried because even though he has all his lucky items with him, including his rabbit's foot, he has a black cat cross his path before he gets there and he is worried. He becomes more worried because he's hungry, but he can't eat before the operation. And when he wakes up, he has bandages over his eyes, so he thinks he's blind. Um, He is surprised they did the surgery while he was asleep. They thought that they were going to do it while he was awake. Um, I mean, there are some surgeries that we do now while people are awake. But for the most part, we uh, we don't. Um, Now, I mean, gosh, you go back to the time of Dr. Muter and it's like all these people doing procedures without anesthesia in an open air. Yeah, that's why everyone just fucking died. (laughs) 
there's that one guy who like tried to go for speed and ended up killing three people because everybody got gangrene or something. I'll have to find that guy's story. It's messed up. It's like high score. I killed three people, including myself. Anyway, oh my um, so Charlie is desperate to get smart. Aldrin and the mouse mm-hmm. is still beating him at cognitive tests. He goes mm-hmm. back to work at a factory, but he's told by Dr. Strauss not to tell anybody about his surgery. So his coworkers tease him about the scar on his head, but he remembers he can't talk about it, so he doesn't tell them why he has it. When something mm-hmm. goes wrong, people in the factory always refer to it as pulling a Charlie Gordon. He doesn't understand. Rude. Oh my God, these coworkers are so nasty. He um he doesn't understand what that means or why they think it's funny, but so he just kind of laughs with them. Oh. Um, Doctor Strauss visits Charlie at home because Charlie missed an appointment. He got really frustrated. He gives Charlie mm-hmm. equipment to turn on at night, and he also lets him know that Charlie will be taught individually by his former teacher, Miss Kin- Miss Kinnigan. Kinnan? I don't remember now. I'm gonna say Kinnigan. I wrote a week this a week ago, and life has kicked me in the ball since. Anyway. Um, he also, so his teacher from before is going to teach him privately now. So when he went to his special school, Charlie goes out with Mm -hmm. work friends, they get him tanked and either they leave him or Charlie goes out to get a newspaper. He doesn't really remember, but what he does know Mm -hmm. is he was abandoned, beaten up and then brought home by a cop. Uh, Charlie ends up beating Algernon in a maze test and his teacher shows up to teach Charlie. She seems Mm -hmm. really scared of him at first, but she's really helping him improve his spelling and you can actually see that at, through the story as you're reading it his spelling gets better mm-hmm. and his word usage starts to go to a higher level and that's mm-hmm. definitely an intentional design by keys yes charlie's co-workers end up taking him to a party he remembers that they got him drunk before so he doesn't want to drink so he's like no i'm not going to touch it and mm-hmm. his co-workers end up giving him a coke but they drug him what assholes um, it's a whole ass crime. That is a crime. It's a straight up crime. Um, he's used as a joke and he figures out that his coworkers are tormenting him as everyone is laughing. So he stops going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, Charlie notices, starts to notice the women in his life, like his landlady, suddenly seem afraid of him. He retakes the Rorschach test, which he now understands and understands mm-hmm. the point of it. Charlie advises his boss that he should rearrange the machines at the factory, to which his boss advises that he'll save thousands of dollars. He doesn't really do anything for Charlie other than give him a $25 bonus. Oh. So Charlie, I mean, we can talk about this too. Even as he starts to get more intelligent, he's still not emotionally intelligent. Um, Charlie Mm -hmm. offers to take his coworkers out to lunch with that bonus because he's a sweet baby angel. Mm -hmm. But his coworkers are all avoiding him or they freak out when he taps him on their shoulder. Mm -hmm. Charlie offers to take Miss Kinnian out for dinner. Miss Kinnian. There we go. I just typoed earlier. He also starts to realize all the emotional issues that the doctors around him are suffering, like their wounded pride and the fact that they're scared of losing their jobs. Uh, Miss Kinnian and he have a good time at dinner and he just, they discuss his progress and he realizes that he's in love with her. Charlie Ooh. ends up getting fired by his co because his coworkers created a petition because they didn't like the changes in him. And mm-hmm. his boss starts referencing things from the Bible like Eve eating from the tree of knowledge. Mm-hmm. What the shit, dude. Uh, yeah. One of the doctors is irritated with Charlie for not writing down his topics, mm-hmm. but Charlie says that his handwriting is terrible and he's over it. And so he ends to, he learns how to type and is now seemingly unstoppable. The doctors get quieter on him and one doctor has told Charlie that he, he has given them a complex. 
Charlie begins to find it difficult to communicate because no one understands the high level discussions he's having about complex topics. He's mm -hmm. working in a restaurant and finds out one of his coworkers is being made fun of, um, who's the, the new coworker who's a dishwasher, who he discovers is developmentally challenged. And he sees himself in the old coworker and gets really upset. Mm -hmm. Algernon, our mouse friend, begins to have behavioral problems and bites Charlie. The doctors advise Algernon is having a ton of behavioral issues in general, and he is no longer cooperating with their experiments. Mm -hmm. Charlie is given his own lab and writes a report on the experiment that he was part of to be published. Mm -hmm. He then begins to grade an intelligent and, and experiences amnesia. Mm -hmm. And then in the story, we start to see the steady decline of and his bouts of forgetfulness. For Algernon, for the, for the mouse. Yeah. Um, and for everyone else. Charlie also starts to decline. Mm -hmm. He begins to exhibit signs of depression. He goes back to work at the box factory. Mm -hmm. um, his writing returns to where it was at the beginning. And he does, however, threaten a coworker who tries to mess with him, and then everyone leaves him alone from there on. When the story ends, he's preparing to leave flowers on Algernon's grave in his backyard. Yeah, so why do children read this? I don't know. This is in the, even where it was originally published was not intended for children. Like what? What is what is the moral that I'm supposed to learn as a twelve or thirteen year old? Well, there's a lot of themes and a lot of symbols. There um, are. Okay, so right off the bat, I know that if you're playing bingo, we're gonna get to racism right now. Um, yeah is an awkward sentence about where he's considering maybe white mice are smarter than other mice. Uh, but that also ties into the concept of IQ tests and how they're bullshit. Um, they're bullshit for a lot of people, but they also don't know what they're measuring is I think what I'll say. I like the idea of a lot of diagnostic testing as context not content if that makes sense so like i did a bunch of diagnostic testing when i was in high school or going from junior high to high school because my aunts were convinced that i was everything but an asshole <laughs> like they were so desperate to like find a diagnosis for young amanda that wasn't she's a dick so i actually went through like a fair amount of testing and one of the things that came up was that I have very, very poor spatial awareness. And like, that makes sense because like, even in my head, I have a hard time like manipulating objects in 360 degrees, like Tetris makes me very, very tired. Um, so that isn't like a deterministic thing. It's, it's like, oh no, Amanda is lesser because she can't do a tessellation in her brain. It's more of just, okay, that makes sense why I kind of sucked at geometry. So I like them a lot as context rather than you are idiot and then, you know, you're branded for life. Um, also, we have to acknowledge that most IQ tests are inherently eugenicist, racist, and misogynistic. And they were designed to be so. Um, yeah, they and they were intentionally designed for that fuckery. So like that part, yeah, I'm not taking that away from you. Because uh, that's true. A lot of them are just like intentionally designed to be racist and misogynistic and terrible yeah. because 
and test society. for things that unless you are a wealthy white man who has time to devote to mm-hmm. certain pursuits or not even wealthy just wealthy. like just privileged like <sighs> well and that's that's the interesting thing is as we as a society of starting to to explore testing more Mm-hmm. I remember the SAT when I was in high school was like the be all end all. And the mm-hmm. thing was you took classes, not on the content. It had nothing to do with the content. You it were, had to do on how, to take a how, test. To ta- how to take it, how to mm-hmm. manipulate it, how to like look at it. Mm-hmm. And that's something that's very, very interesting in regards to like our, our IQ tests and things like that. Yeah, I did um, SAT, ACT prep. Fun fact, I did very, very bad on the SAT the first time. Um I did better the first, the second time, and then I did well on the ACT. And without doing my own horn, I don't think I'm dumb. So I'm genuinely just a bad test taker. These things do exist diagnostically to help some people, but they are a very, very poor measure of a full, complete person, which leads to emotional intelligence versus actual intelligence and emotional intelligence not in like the buzzword sense because it's been kind of co-opted by uh basically marketing people like me who were evil and thrown around a lot like synergy and like thought leader where like oh i have strong emotional intelligence you're not a sociopath is what you've said like you don't have high emotional intelligence you're not a raging but emotional intelligence in the way that we mean, which I will let Tori talk now. <laughs> um, so in this particular situation, it's able to gauge social situations, understanding what is going on in the context mm-hmm. of the people around you. Mm-hmm. For him, there, there's there's a lot of, of different aspects that we start to see. Um, Charlie is described basically kind of like this big hulking figure that when he is not in a full capacity he's completely mm-hmm. harmless they just go oh, he's no big deal um mm-hmm. so his co-workers don't feel bad you know causing problems or being rude to him or getting him drunk or drugging him or doing things that make them laugh it's which is they, horrifying oh it's terrible it's absolutely terrible and it's cruel and evil mm-hmm. um what's interesting is when he starts to get on equal footing with them is when they mm-hmm. panic um and because he hasn't had that emotional intelligence and he hasn't had time to learn that and it's not as it's not like facts or languages or um, mathematics or anything that he can learn through his little machine it's something that he has to learn through experience mm-hmm. uh, to stand up for himself which we see at the end mm-hmm. his co-workers are scared and fill out that petition because they know how cruel that they have been and they realize that he could figure out how to do the same to them Mm-hmm. At this point in time, he would be more of a threat. Mm-hmm. We also see that with his sexuality, which is why this book gets banned a lot. Um, I didn't think it was that bad in comparison not. to the everything else. It's not. But the two, what was it? The two places this were banned were Texas and was the other one Utah? Like, yeah, I mean, the, the places where you'd expect. Yeah. What areas have the highest use of porn consumption? can't tell you right now it's Utah um so as far as as his emotional intelligence and and the fear it's something that he still is trying to learn even as he gets to the end of the book like it takes him forever to realize that he's in love with Miss Kinnian um Mm -hmm. and even then it's like but I can't communicate with her because I'm at this other level 
And I, I'll say this about emotional intelligence. I think the big thing is, is there's a difference between I think emotional intelligence and like saying that you're an empath. Cause I do think that people who tend to say that they're an empath, like anything usually aren't empathetic. I think that we've kind of codified emotional intelligence a little bit too much because in theory, it's something that everyone should have. Like it's very basic. Like we should, if you are not in the neurodivergent camp, you should have a level of awareness to not be a raging bag of dicks. And if you, hmm? the shortest version of this is, can you read the room? Uh, it's, can you read the room and can you understand why what you said is a problem? Cause I think that's the other side with emotional intelligence that people don't get is, are you aware of why what you said is a problem? And then can you read the tone of the room? Because you can read the room, say something awful, and then still be like aghast that someone wasn't crazy about making a joke about ovens in 2020. Because people do that still and think that that's okay. Um, Emotional intelligence is weird because I think that again, it shouldn't really take away from normal intelligence. Like I've never understood the idea of intellect being cold and unfeeling a lot, the way a lot of uh, narratives like to portray it, which um, I guess should lead us into the burden of knowledge. Um, We tend to think of being smart as kind of isolating and you're talking to two formerly gifted children uh it was as a child uh when you're not on the level of your peers and the only other people that understand you are adults and that's weird but when you grow up it's not that isolating and i'm no neil degrasse tyson mostly because i haven't sexually harassed or assaulted any women uh but i i don't find that i don't belong in society i do have moments where i am definitely over someone's head like i was uh at a client event and someone had an anubis uh tattoo and i said oh my gosh that's so cool um i just finished reading up the egyptian book of the dead and the demotic script the like what we would call hieroglyphics, but demotic. And it's like, oh, I just got it because it was the cool thing. And it's like, oh, I showed my card of not being dumb too early. And now it's awkward because now he thinks I do like pagan shit with my Egyptian Book of the Dead. Oh, But it's not as, I don't think it's as isolating as you will say, because you tend to make friends with other people who aren't dumb. Well, and that's that's the thing too is, as a human being, if you have that emotional intelligence, you start to develop communication techniques mm-hmm. where when you are the weird kid when you're younger, which I definitely was, mm-hmm. still am, mm-hmm. you don't necessarily have that general population that's like, okay, I want to come do this weird thing with you. But mm-hmm. you develop techniques and habits to be still in the group, but you're still a part of it like a part mm-hmm. as in a separate part um mm-hmm. 
And that actually is a major benefit to our society. There's um, a book that just came out called Weird. It's by Olga, I want to say Kundin. I like, I need to look it up. She's actually a former Russian emigre from um, Russia, the late 80s, when oh. they ha a, a bunch of Jewish people were mm -hmm. basically forcefully Kazan, Olga Kazan. Um, mm -hmm. and it's amazing. But it's about how when you have these certain things that you do and certain things that are a little off-putting that you always feel are, are difficult for you, you actually see problems from a different perspective. And a mm -hmm. lot of times in society, when we have this homogenized culture and belief system, we miss important pieces of information that the weird folks find or the mm -hmm. people who are a little off kilter find. So it's incredibly important for things like medical testing, um, for drug testing, it's um, for looking at different perspectives, especially in the legal system, which mm -hmm. is something that we lack severely, especially out here in Texas. I had a mm -hmm. really good conversation with a friend yesterday about um, why San Antonio has really, really terrible lawyers, yeah, um, at least ranking-wise. Mm -hmm. And so there's, I know some awesome lawyers out here, so please don't think I'm hashtag not all lawyers. Hashtag not all lawyers, but um just the concept of like good competition, bad competition, knowing random aspects that you wouldn't normally see if you've just got the same belief type over and over again. Mm -hmm. But it's also weird because, and we're seeing this a lot right now in the West and here in the United States, that we simultaneously really prize intelligence in people, but we also hate it. Um, we are both uh, fans of Sophie the Magpie. Um, and one of the things about magpies that's fascinating is that a lot of people are kind of afraid of them and have been afraid of them for many, many years because they're smart. They are smart little birds. And we, as a society, really, like, attribute intelligence to negative, like, things. We assume that, like, that's bad like this little bird shouldn't be able to like do puzzles and shit now i think that's cool as fuck because i got to watch a bird steal popcorn out of a dude's jacket today that was awesome that's not scary to me but like i'm sure that there's some people that's like i'm not okay with that and has and has been so for hundreds of years so it's this weird dichotomy of simultaneously really wanting your kid to not be dumb but then that leaves them completely unprepared for the rest of the world that one doesn't care and honestly two kind of hates you for it and that's something we're seeing very very heavily in the anti-masker community out here for COVID-19 where we have a bunch of people who are like, I've done the research, I need to wear this mask, this mm -hmm. is very important to stop the spread of disease. Mm -hmm. If we do it all as a group, mm -hmm. and we if we keep this group mindset together, mm -hmm. then it won't be a problem and this will go away. And mm -hmm. then you have that guy who bashes in the door and says, I ain't wearing no mask, you can't make me do it. And mm -hmm. the, the thing that's really, really hard about this is it's a, almost a stereotype at this point in time. You can almost feel which person is going to lose their shit because mm -hmm. you've asked them to wear a mask before they can come into the store. Mm -hmm. And you're seeing this with 
freaking, I feel so bad. Like 15 year old employees at McDonald's getting punched in the face. People having to have their jaws reset because mm-hmm. they, you know, told the guy, hey, I'm sorry, it's company policy. You can't. A security guard in Atlanta got shot and was killed. Exactly. Like, it's, like it's, did you see the flash mob at Target? I heard about it. Do you want to explain for people who? So I'm pretty sure this was in Florida. <laughs> there was a, a flash mob of anti-maskers that invaded a Target. And just, Tori, were we not just talking about me complaining about getting a flu shot? Yes, but you did it because you're an adult. Right. Like, I just got a flu shot. Yeah, I just got a flu shot and my arm hurts and I'm tired and I don't feel good. And as soon as I got it, I got a Frappuccino at Starbucks because I am a toddler. (laughs) But I still did it. Like, that's that's what adults do and that's what societies do to function uh interesting too on the perspective that people don't in our country don't see employees as human and that's something that blows my mind is people walking into starbucks and saying i want a frappuccino not i'm not saying you i know you probably were very responsible went through the drive-thru wore your mask but it was in a target i walked but i obeyed all the signs and i side-eyed a lady who like came up behind me good job I had to do that to somebody too when I was getting something for Brianna and uh, like as far as like in line with somebody and I'm mm-hmm. like there's literally a sticker six feet behind me go mm-hmm. sit on, or stand mm-hmm. on it um but where people are going in and going can I just take my mask off since there's nobody in here and you're sitting there going you are talking like, to you're an you're talking to a human person this is not a robot and this is something that you've heard me say before and I definitely mm-hmm. believe that every person should have to do time in retail mm-hmm. and food service before Absolutely. they like graduate college because you become a much better person for the most part mm-hmm. when you realize that other people are dicks to employees. And when you, right. especially in the areas of customer care mm-hmm. and in hospitality, like mm-hmm. you do not need to be a dick to the maid cleaning your room in a hotel, okay? Mm-hmm. She does not control the price of your room. She does not control whether or not your television works. Okay. Like these are major corporations that hire people for a very, very limited amount of funds. Mm -hmm. They cannot fix all your first world problems for you. Well, and to bring it back to the book and then not understanding that like making fun of these people sometimes has consequences. Cause you know what? If you piss off that maid, she's leaving last night semen on your remote. I'm just letting you know. Like, like having worked in retail and in food service and tour, you can probably attest to this as well. When customers are rude to you and they walk up to your booth or your whatever, and they say, just go look in the back for me. What do you oh do when you get to the back? God. So this is something- what I did when I was at Hot Topic. I'll tell you what I did at Barnes and Noble. You go first. So if, so I used to work at Hot Topic, which should be surprising to no one. Not at all. Not at all surprised. When I was in high school, I worked in Hot Topic. And if someone just walked into the store, I need you to go look in the back for a size. Didn't look, didn't attempt to look, didn't take a lap. I would say, sure. And you know what I would do? I would walk my ass to the back. I would sit down and do nothing for at least 15 minutes. And if my boss came in, what are you doing back here? Looking in the back. We had, so something I, I need to tell you, if you ever 
get to work at a bookstore. First of all, yep. working in a bookstore is part awesome, part terrible. When you get a discount, you end up mm-hmm. spending that entire paycheck thanks to that mm-hmm. discount. But mm-hmm. the hard part is you think working in a bookstore, hey, I'm going to encounter intelligent people who enjoy reading, no, which is not true, especially if you were the only store that is open past mm-hmm. 10 o'clock mm-hmm. next to the movie theater and you have a coffee shop. Oh, the mall ones. <sighs> Jesus. Um, I, re- so I love the mall ones. We would literally be looking at our computer screen. Mm-hmm. Somebody would come up and ask for a book that Oprah had just recommended. Mm-hmm. I would say, we do not have this book in the store. We do not have this book in any store in our area. There was mm-hmm. a rush on it earlier today. It's been sold out. We can order a copy and have it delivered here or have it delivered to you directly. Mm-hmm. We'll go look in the back. I'm sure there's more in the back. I'm sure there's just like a pallet or something you guys haven't checked in yet. No. Because that's not when we get our orders in, you dumb shit. But you can't say that. So instead you go, okay, give me just a moment. Keep in mind, you've got like a line of like mm-hmm. 15 people behind this bitch. I worked in Newport Beach. And in Newport Beach, we refer to that particular type of person as Newport bitch. Um, so I would go in the back. I would stand there. Mm-hmm. I would look down at the floor at our return boxes for the publisher that it came from. Mm-hmm. I would look over to the shelf, like I'd just stand there, turn my head because everything that we had, we Mm -hmm. put out on the shelf, unless it was a duplicate. If the computer says we don't have any, don't have any. And then I go out, you know, I'm just so sorry. And nine times out of 10, you guys are worthless. I'm just enamored with the idea of like every person assumes that there is some kind of like secret stock in the back that like, we're just doing this to fuck with you. And part of me always just wants to go, what do you, what do you think we're doing? Like, I'm going to go back there and I'm going to do some sort of secret occult ritual and magically like a right, size like, 3X will appear as well as your copy of the secret. Like, I don't know what to tell right, you. Right. Like, I, I do love that, that there's like this genuine idea that like we go to the back and there's like a wormhole or a TARDIS or something. And like you your item. Stargate? No. In a hot topic, yes. But like. A hundred percent in some hot topics, but um, there I think that there is a burden to intelligence, but I do think it's not the one that people assume it is. Um, I guess I need to talk about what it means to be intelligent, and my the thing that always comes to mind with that is that there was an episode of Monster Quest when they were talking about uh Stalin's uh, monkey army that he wanted to build. Now I gotta look that up. Monster you know about Quest. that? No. I'm like, so in Soviet Monster Russia, Stalin army. So there was a doctor who was like, I want to build a super soldier. And he was like, I'm going to put, I'm going to make like ape human hybrids. And at first, the idea was to like put heads on bodies and that didn't work. So we're going to do like some weird like genome shit. I gestured. Um, it didn't work, obviously. There's a great Monster Quest episode about it like monster quest as a primary source uh but one of the just like hey this explains a whole episode of venture brothers to me now go ahead (laughs) yeah it's a soviet thing i know more about the soviets than you for a moment uh but there was one doctor who's like a primatologist talking about like how we talk shit about gorillas and he's like he says my ability to do calculus means nothing in the jungle and like that has always sort of been like how i approach intelligence is that like, my ability to recite French poetry is not saving me if, like, we're in a Lord of the Flies scenario. So something incredible that happened last night. Um, right now, for people who 
immediately listen to this podcast. Um, Phenomenicon is going on right now with the mm-hmm. uh, Traveling Museum of the Paranormal and the Occult. Mm-hmm. And Michelle Bellinger was there. And she is the most incredible speaker because literally it's just point to point to point to point to point to point to point. And it's all in here. It's all in her head. It's, mm-hmm. you know, she takes notes, but they're like, she'll refer to it because she's just so genuinely interested in what she's studying. Mm-hmm. Um, but she flat out said, I was not good with math. Math was not my strong suit, mm-hmm. but not a single person in that group chat last night watching her live video would tell you that she's stupid because she is mm-hmm. not. Again, like you said, the, the quote about your ability to do calculus does not help you survive in the jungle. Yeah. So, and, and Michelle had even said during her talk, she can tell you everything under the sun about, you know, Britlet. Mm-hmm. You know, that was her initial major before she moved to um, comparative religion. Mm-hmm. She can tell you about random cults that worship Victor Hugo all day long. Me? What? There's she's actually, about- I, I want to say it's like Korean or Vietnamese. I have to look it up again. I was like, is she just but, talking about my house? <laughs> but it's this thing where like you and I can sit here all day and pontificate on books that we've read or pontificate pontificate um and and we'll go through different things but at Mm -hmm. the same time if somebody yells at me at work I'm gonna completely shut down I'm gonna completely shut down I don't have that particular intelligence to just be like f you and your family like I'm like why why are they mad at me we haven't done anything like yeah and I I think like that that idea one it makes like some stuff with animals weird because we're gonna go back to talking about the book again um not just our sad lives <laughs> we're not just gonna talk about our sad lives we're gonna talk about the book again but it makes like some stuff with animals weird like zoos and stuff where it's like I know this animal isn't dumb like what are you doing here like why did I, I don't remember what episode this was, but like I think that if an animal can pass the mirror test, they shouldn't be in a zoo. So is the mirror test where they recognize that they're yes. in the mirror? Yeah, that's the mirror test. Like if they can recognize their reflection and it's not just like, oh fuck, another bird. Like, <laughs> like they have to be able to recognize, oh, this is another version of me. Not I'm gonna go fuck up this piece of glass. Nemo just runs the opposite way. Yeah. Um, I think if they can pass the mirror test, they shouldn't be in zoos. Because that, to me, is a creature who knows that they're in captivity. And, like, that's not good. It was not on a podcast. I was talking to a friend because we were watching that sad uh, SeaWorld video. Where that girl died. Blackfish? Yeah. Oh. Um, Yeah, I think if they can pass a mirror test, No. But at the same time, I don't want to diminish the intelligence of other animals because, like, a cheetah is really great at being a cheetah. I couldn't be a cheetah. In all fairness, I don't think a cheetah could do my job, but I couldn't do a cheetah's job. <laughs> just, just a cheetah trying to do a concept calendar. I love it. I'm sorry. I joke all the time that I'm just going to get Nemo a little tie and make him answer phone calls for me. I think he'd do great. He currently just sleeps in the secondary chair and since we're not recording from my office anymore. So mm-hmm. he just, he just lays there. I was joking with my friend the other day that he was getting promoted mm-hmm. because I needed an assistant, mm-hmm. but he's great. The, the only thing that he's good at is eating treats and being pets. So 
amazing typical no i'm just kidding assistants are amazing and usually get so much but also like we're the same like i also am really only good at like eating and getting praised so uh do you really how okay how deep in the weeds do we want to talk about animal testing because like we can make this a whole thing unfortunately let's keep it let's keep it light because like you said we could literally have an entire podcast about our feelings on animal testing it's bad let's just say that yeah that's the short and sweet of it it is incredibly dangerous um the reason that it's been done mostly in history is where we don't want to test on human beings directly um here's the thing if Mm -hmm. you're using things that you think are going to automatically hurt a creature are you should yeah okay but as a metaphor i do like it because there's also juxt it's also juxtaposed with testing on a human because we are also animals there's your theme uh and that's all we're going to talk about animal testing because uh i don't want to i don't want Peter to be upset with us (laughs) because we aren't hardcore enough about being anti we're obviously anti or as anti as we can be because like realistically I read a quote somewhere that says that there is no ethical consumption under capitalism. And that's been like weirdly liberating because it's that whole issue of like, you can do your best, but like someone's still getting fucked over somehow. So it's like nihilistic, but freeing. So like, even though we can say we're both anti-animal testing, I guarantee you, I can check my products. There's probably one product I use that is probably still tested on animals because the company, the company's company company that does it still allows that for some reason. Um, it I've sucks got, and that's sad. I've gotten very into buying things from, that are handmade from Etsy versus, um, other stuff but then you still have to be real careful because a lot of times there's also mass-produced stuff on Etsy that gets put as it's all like so did you ever watch um gosh come on brain I literally have a calendar of Chidi Adegania why can't I think it the good place did you ever watch the good place a little bit there is a whole segment where the judge played by Maya Rudolph who is incredible yes she is does a whole thing about you know I'm gonna go just prove how silly it is that y'all can't go ahead and keep this point system Mm-hmm. And so she goes down to earth, comes back and goes, oh my God, you know, I was like, hey, go to the grocery store and just get some tomatoes. But you can't just do that because they're done this, 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 and this. And she goes, and then you go to this research, nice, juicy tomatoes. And then you end up with porn. And like, she goes into this whole thing about like how difficult it is to break down into what is not going to cause additional heartache and problems. Like there's Mm -hmm. in the show, they're doing a point comparison and one guy in the 1400s stopped and picked flowers and brought them to his mother. And he got like 500 points for that. But then a Mm -hmm. guy bought flowers for his mom in 2012 and sent them via like, via a shipping company. And so then he got negative points because of environmental damage. I like, it was just, that that show is amazing. Um, I think Mark and I have been through it about two or three times now, but every time we go back, we find something new as far in the realm of philosophy. And if you know me, whenever I'm having a particularly bad day, you'll see me post a, a gif of Chidiano Gonier going, this broke me. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, chair squeaky. I don't mind it. 
you want to go back and do superstition and then we'll cover ink blots? So I love the fact that Charlie has all sorts of little superstitious items that he keeps on him. He has a lucky rabbit's foot that he mentions constantly. Mm-hmm. I have my foot with me and my rabbit's foot with me. Mm-hmm. Um, lucky pennies. And then that big concern that his surgery isn't going to go well because black cat walked in front of his path before he got to the surgery center. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what's interesting about this especially is that you see this as trying to say that he's superstitious because he's less intelligent. That's what the book is trying to make you believe. I don't think I'm dumb, but there is a bag of crystals in my purse that if you fuck with them, I'll hurt you. Some of the most intelligent people I know have superstitious tendencies. Yeah. It is the human brain trying to find patterns Mm -hmm. and go with them. Mm -hmm. I am still superstitious about certain outfits I will never wear again because somebody Mm -hmm. died while I was wearing them or um which this this was kind of a joke because i found this old sweater that my dad liked and he said something before he passed away i mm-hmm. wore it and then we had two different cats die within a week um i'm not trying to co-opt my friend's tra- or my daughter's bio mom's tragedy but we had our cat also have to be put down on monday mm-hmm. um and so now i'm like i'm gonna wash that sweater i'm probably gonna give that away i'm never gonna touch that again Either that or I'm going to put it in a box, salt it, and leave it under the full moon. Like, there are certain things that we do to try and just be like, how do I cleanse this? How do I fix this? I know perfectly rational people that will walk through their house with lit Palo Santo or white sage because it. it's cleansing. It's, it's that, that concept of let's clear that. And I don't think following a tradition or following a ritual or following something that makes you feel better makes you any less intelligent well i think that there's a i think that there's a slight difference between ritual and superstition in this and i don't want to conflate those two because to me ritual is more about like magical thinking than magical practice um and superstition is about the idea that because of this this happened or if i do this this won't happen more of the ritual stuff is I either want something to happen or I want something to stop happening. For instance, I wanted my demon to go away, which is why I burned a bunch of Palo Santo. Um, and my demon did go away. But yeah, I don't think that that is what makes him dumb. I don't think that's the thing. And superstition versus science, what's amazing is like in the early days of science, it was all superstition. Like, if you look at the humors model and everything, it was all just, like, weird, magical, superstitious shit. Like, you have ghosts in your blood. Go take a cocaine. (laughs) When people get confused about alchemy, too, because the whole concept of turning lead into gold or so, you know, people automatically think that it's the tangible concept of that. But most Mm -hmm. alchemists believe that you are turning the lead of the body into the gold of the soul. So Mm -hmm. it was more of a philosophical um, belief of making yourself better right the great Um, work like it was the great work it it wasn't about just tinkering away and trying to be a greedy asshole even though for some people it was uh for most in the hermeneutics it was about the great work it was about being your best self uh uh, this book hurts so much (laughs) it does um 
some things that I thought were really, really interesting. Um, having to pass a test for food, which we see in two different aspects. One, Algernon can't have a treat until he solves the maze to go get to his food. Mm-hmm. Charlie also has to pass through the test of his day-to-day work life to get a paycheck, so he can mm-hmm. it, which I thought was interesting. Um, there's also the concept of even the snake when his, his boss is going all um, straight religious on him. And mm-hmm. it's the concept of forbidden knowledge and the fact that so many people think that Charlie has subverted the system by gaining knowledge. I mean, okay, but by the means he did, he has. Well, technically, he's not the one who started this. Okay, but they thought he was but, a good, he a good test subject. I'm not blaming him. I'm just saying. Well, I just think it's the interesting concept is how many people treat him like he's evil because I, suddenly he's intelligent. I would. Okay. <sighs> Sorry about Bless that. Bless you. I would also have some concerns, though. I mean, I wouldn't be a dick and make fun of him, obviously, but like, I would also have some concerns about like the random dude who was one day not smart and the next day is. Like, I would also have some valid worries about that. That just might be like the the black person in me <laughs> that has seen one too many movies. I don't know but... how many times I've, I've referenced this on the show, but the the mob song from Beauty and the Beast. Yes, we. It's basically we don't understand it and we're scared. Right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I would, again, I wouldn't be a dick, but I, I would definitely have some concerns that I think, that I think are valid. Um, I think we'll put a bow on this by talking about just how we treat the disabled and the neurodivergent, uh, which is bad. Even we- to this day. We tend to be very big on the get them out of our immediate view. Mm -hmm. Our polite Um, society. Please don't pay attention to them. Please don't. And I mean, I've I've been lucky enough to to work with a bunch of people who have have spent a lot of time with neurodivergent children and, Mm -hmm. and that's their profession. And they're some of the most caring, amazing people I've ever met in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, but the understanding that the majority of the time, if there are behavioral issues, it's because there are things that these children and adults are trying to express that mm-hmm. they don't have either the ability or they're so differently abled in their communication style from what we consider to be standard that mm-hmm. It becomes incredibly frustrating and that's Mm -hmm. usually when you see a child with autism when they are throwing a tantrum or stemming or something like that Mm -hmm. there is something going on that they cannot express to you um i do see this in a family member fairly often they're one of the sweetest things in the whole world but when he can't get that across and he can't explain what hurts or what he's happy about or what he's just what's bugging him really bad and this can be something as small as a tag on the back of his shirt or he wants more fruit snack um once you kind of figure out the signs and 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 his parent is incredible um they they actually worked with neurodivergent children so it's not a surprise it's one of those okay we're gonna help you with this we're gonna help you with this this is what you're asking for this is what you need um Mm -hmm. And when those basic needs are met and there's that system that they've formed of communication between each other, 
there's not an issue. It's the fact that we tend to just be like, you don't communicate the way I do. You don't have the same interactions and beliefs and stuff that I do. I don't understand you. So I'm just going to assume that this is all a problem. Yeah. And I mean, that's the truth for how patriarchal societies approach everything. But yeah, we just, we don't tend to treat the disabled well. And you see that in the way that Charlie's treated at work, by the way he's treated by his doctors. It's really frustrating and sad. Again, we have a whole other podcast on how uh, society fails everyone, but it's important to keep in mind that realistically, at the end of the day, oftentimes Algernon the Mouse is treated better than Charlie in a lot of ways, and that's very pathetic. Um, which means we probably need to say why why this mouse and a little bit of the history of testing on mice. Uh, mice make great test subjects, not advocating, just saying, because they are small, they cannot hurt you, and they reproduce very, very quickly. Their anatomy comparative to ours is pretty similar, their organs are very, very neatly aligned, and they're easy to put down and to manage and to maintenance without taking up a lot of space. If you've played Minecraft and you have to like manage worlds, Think of it that way. Mice are a very, very easy to keep up with species. Um, that doesn't make it okay. Again, not advocating. Uh, but that is why, and especially uh, white mice, makes it easier to see things. Uh, I used to have a little white mouse. Tori got to learn that this week. I, I learned that you brought it home from school in a coffee can that scared the hell out of your mom. Yeah, I didn't know my mom was afraid of mice until I opened up a coffee can with a mouse and she almost shit herself. Oh, like, just, ah, yeet. Uh, his name was Patriot. I loved him dearly. He lived off of mostly uh, honey bunches of oats with strawberries and other mouse foods. And he was going to be put down because my science teacher had an abundance of mice. So I had my own little Algernon and I took good care of him or as best care I could take of a mouse when I was in seventh grade. Um, as far as metaphors go, we tend to think of, I put rat and mouse together and the word was rice and I almost said rice. We tend to think of rats and mice as pest species and they are, uh, but they're actually very, very smart. They take care of themselves. They're very sweet. Basically, there is nothing that I can say about this that isn't said better by The Secret of Nim. Just go watch that movie forgot about that I uh, the trailer up i think because don bluth hates children uh yeah that was evident all dogs go to heaven it's evident in literally everything he's ever made rockadoodle i loved rockadoodle i love rockadoodle too let's it's say nice, but it's I'm bad but that's my trash uh chanticleer <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, we're like, what the hell are they even talking about? And now I got a so trailer for Rockadoodle. Now we need to talk about Rockadoodle. Um, so that is Rats and Mice. Ink blots are dumb and I hate them. So and then and that's the thing too is <laughs> the ink blot test and the psychoanalytic testing. Mm-hmm. There are, it's, it's always an interesting to me because it's informed by your culture. It's informed how you were raised. It's informed by so many things. Mm-hmm. I always wonder what the hell they're looking for. 
I was like, I feel like I need to be friends with the therapist in regards to this and just be like, Hey, I, I, I know a therapist. I should just call her and be like, Hey, explain this to me. I'm also um, usually the sociopath who's like, let me give you the answer that will get me out of this office fastest. What's interesting is every therapist I've ever been to does not use these tests. Well, they don't, but like any other kind of like free association thing, I'm always like, how do I give the most normal answer? What, what is correct? Eddie Izzard has this great sketch where he's talking about kids and he goes, he goes, um, you know, did you? And he goes, um, I, I don't know. I was dead at the time. I was on the moon with Steve. He goes, I haven't even accused you of anything yet. And so when Brianna starts to break down and be like, well, what was I supposed to do? Um, I did, uh, I'll go, I haven't even accused you of anything yet. And then she'll just kind of go, oh, um, I was in the other room doing this. I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. you're not, you're not in trouble. I just didn't know where you were. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's weird. I kind of hate tests like that because, yeah, I, I feel like I'm quick to give the answer that I'm hoping someone wants because I usually just want to get out of there. It's like, what is, or <laughs> I told you about the sad bitch button, right? Yes. Uh, or like, what will have the sad bitch button not pressed? How do we avoid this? Those are my concerns. I don't want the sad bitch button pressed and I very much want to not be here. So for people who didn't hear our episode where we talked about the sad bitch button, do you want to give them just a quick, quick Sure. Um, I started teletherapy a while ago. And uh, in one of the early appointments I had, my psychologist was like, hey, you need to verify your address. And it's like, fucking why? It's like, because if you say something that's troubling, I can like have 911 sent to you so they can like pick you up. It's like, what? So I've always imagined it being like an eject button, like under his desk. And I just started calling it the sad bitch button. So I'm not going to alert you that I'm calling the authorities, but. Right. So, but it also means that like, I'm really shockingly measured in therapy, which is bad because you shouldn't do that in therapy. But I also don't want to have the sad bitch button pressed. So you're going to get 75% of the truth. What's bad is my concept, and, and maybe this is just because of my genetic makeup over years and, and our craziness as a family. I want to give them the full crazy because if I'm going to pay you money to talk to me, I want you to, you to earn that money. I don't want to be hospitalized. That's all I'm saying. That's why I can give you 75%, but I do not want to be hospitalized. Ain't nobody got time for that. Oh. Ain't nobody got the insurance that will cover that. I mean, also that. Uh, you want to wrap up by talking about this fucking diary? Yes. Epistolary style and how it benefits the story. So epistolary style is when you see something that's written in letters or as a journal or sometimes news articles, as we've seen with things like Dracula. And what it's done is it's designed to give you the firsthand experience, but written down so that you have enough separation that you feel like you kind of just stumbled upon this and you're experiencing somebody's truth Um, versus where you just have straight first person and it's, oh, you know, this person is telling me the story. This, it's more, this person is telling the story and I've managed to find it. like the Blair Witch Project. Like the Blair Witch Project, which 
I can't believe in the 90s, everybody believed, was it late 90s, early 2000s? Both. Um, people Those are on the cusp. People literally believed that these hikers had gone missing and that this wasn't an independent film. Because the marketing was very convincing. Oh, the marketing was great. Like, I hope say, don't, don't talk hired. shit. But the marketing remember, was very convincing. Didn't they show, they showed up at some award show. I want to say it was like the Academy Awards and everybody lost their shit because they're like, oh my God, they're alive. They're, they're real people. And you're going, Mm-hmm. No, they were they were acting and they were making a short film with handheld cameras, and they did mm-hmm. very well. And then we had a bunch of sequels that didn't make any sense. Yes, this is true. It's it's spooky time, so it's now all horror movies all the time, which is driving Mark crazy. So I watch what I can on Hulu quietly on my phone. It it doesn't feel like spooky time, mostly because I don't know what the procedure is for this year. Well, we have the entire fall of civilization, so um, you know that's that's a little difficult. Yeah, but it's been hard. It's been hard to like think about costumes and stuff when everything so, is on fire. I've already told you what my costume is, as it just arrived here while we were recording, thanks to my text message alert from Amazon. Um, I am going to be sexy Mothman for Halloween because everything is terrible. I wanted this bat costume really bad. And then I realized that if I wear red glasses with it and fishnets, I can just tell people I'm sexy Mothman. Thus reaching the pinnacle of my costumes for all eternity. And I don't think I can go higher than this. Um, so my th- the whole thing is sexy costumes drive me crazy. I don't understand the, the concept of it. I've always worn mm-hmm. like the comfortable outfit or the funny outfit. And then mm-hmm. now I've just reached this point where I'm like, well, I don't leave my house anymore. I might as well do something I think is funny. Might as well. All right. Let's give a, let's talk some shit about this author because he's dead and we can do that. Yeah, we're, we're very careful when they're still alive. Um, so Daniel Keyes was born in Brooklyn in 1927. Um, he received degrees from Brooklyn College. He started mm-hmm. working in publishing as an editorial assistant for a, a group that was called Marvel Science Stories, but they went out of business. And that was kind of the name of the game for his, his work life. Um, he tried again mm-hmm. with Stadium Publishing Company. That worked for some time, but he got a little bit bored. So he left to become a photographer, but that didn't work out. So it lasted about a year. He became mm-hmm. an English teacher and then became an instructor at Wayne State University in Detroit. He went from Mm -hmm. there to become a professor at Ohio University. So high level teacher kind of stuff. So he knows of what he speaks in regards to that. Um, Mm -hmm. He became a creative writing director. And then he published a story in Precedent in May of 1952. And he started to do pretty well. So he's submitting more documentation and more stories. Um, Flowers for Algernon is his most famous work. He, this short story was published in the magazine of fantasy and science fiction in April 1950, back when we had sci-fi fantasy magazines of short stories, and they survived, and it wasn't like today where you can't really do that. Um, he won a Hugo Award, which is a big deal in sci-fi and fantasy, yes, as, um, for the best short story in 1959. And this is where it's cool is he took that short story and then turned it into a novel mm-hmm. and that novel became, won the Nebula Award, another big award in 1966. Mm-hmm. So basically he took a short story that he won a prize on, edited mm-hmm. it, expanded it, and then won another major prize with it, which is fairly rare. 
Um, the novel, however, um, I, as we said, it can be incredibly problematic. Their biggest mm -hmm. concern in, for most of the times where it's taught in classrooms is that if you're reading the full novel, Charlie talks about his desires for his teacher. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, people cannot get the concept that um, neurodivergent or, um, you know, differently abled people do still have a sex drive. They do. They do. Um, and so it's, it's really interesting because people, you, you tend to want to desexualize, you know, a human being who you feel is not typical. And we see well, that. We, we also tend to infantilize too. and that's the big yes. thing. Like we, we, we have a, we have a history to infantilize these people. What was that horrible, uh, rehabilitation center that they closed where they called the patients like sick children it was on buzzfeed unsolved i don't remember but um we, we have a bad so habit many. of as a every every rehab facility realistically that back then was terrible we have a bad habit of infantilizing these people um which we see with charlie through the entire book but yeah like people are really like up in arms about parts of it when again that's not the concerning part to me Something that's really interesting, if you get a chance, there's a book that just came out called Jesus and John Wayne, and it's about how the evangelical side of things changed pop culture and belief systems and governmental structure in the United States. Mm -hmm. And it's a very respectful book. Mm -hmm. So, you know, even if you're on the evangelical side of things, I was raised evangelical. Um, I had settled on being a Lutheran and I'm much happier now. Um, but it breaks down how certain concepts and certain beliefs in evangelical Christianity are not biblical. Mm -hmm. They have been created by our sense of pop culture and study. Mm -hmm. One of the very interesting things is, you know, we, we didn't have sex education, you know, long ago. My, my grandma told my mom that chickens got pregnant by pecking each other on the head, which there's so many things wrong with that. I can't even go into it. Um, but the reason that sex education is such a hot topic in the United States is because so much of this debate came up in the late 70s, early 80s during the Cold War. And I know I tie everything back into the Cold War, but it was believed that if we taught methods that would lead to reproductive freedom, that we would encourage communism in the United States because people would have the ability to choose whether or not they bred based on certain things. There's some cool. study work, there's information, there's a backup bibliography to this claim in that book. I definitely recommend reading at least that section. Um, mm -hmm. But I mean, you and I live in a state where abstinence only education is the majority of what is taught if anything is taught at all. There's a this small okay. percentage in bigger cities like Austin and San Antonio where you know mm -hmm. we do have some sex education. Um, it, as a parent, especially as a parent to a girl, I find it's very important to be open and honest about stuff mm -hmm. um, because the last thing we want is, and you'll, you'll hear this anytime you're in a human sexuality class or anything like that, well, they'll talk about how teenagers got pregnant because they thought they could use a candy wrapper as a condom. What? Um, I, I'm not kidding. This, this has happened before. And there's even a joke about it on the show, Archer. Um, there are people who believe that you could douche with Coca-Cola and you wouldn't get pregnant. Um, there are people who believe that you cannot get pregnant the first time you have sex. 
What? There are people, it's, it's, there are so many things that your kids will come up with a story, kind of like a superstition to explain to themselves how things work. And that Mm -hmm. story spreads like wildfire. There's Mm -hmm. a reason things like Slenderman move so quickly through the internet. Because Um, he's real and terrifying. I need you to watch those videos by Dr. Kitta I sent you from YouTube. Um, Amazing. I got got a set at Monstrum. So Tori and I both like Monstrum a lot. Uh, not a friend of the show yet, but please be a friend of the show. Um, and I got a little upset. It's like, Slender Man's not real. Like, bitch, you don't know me. <laughs> I'm laughing right now because like all the, the references that I'm, I'm typing to, to keep track so I can put them in our show notes. I'm like, yes. Monster Quest, Stolid Monkey Army, um, Dr. Kidda, Slender Man from Monstrum. And I'm going... Oh my gosh, we're just ready to go into spooky book season, which we will Or be. we're just insane, because I think that we would be talking about this stuff regardless. So I apologize, I'm kind of all over the place today, but there are a lot of adaptations for this, which is interesting, including a rock opera, which I, was I will to say, link there's you a rock to on opera YouTube. And we're done. <laughs> um, that is, what, I think it's Tony Banks. I don't know, it's in here somewhere. Yeah, Tony Banks, A Curious Feeling. It's from 1979. Um, mm-hmm. There are, have been multiple references to this on tv shows we were talking a little bit at the beginning about it's always sunny in philadelphia has an entire episode called flowers for charlie instead of flowers for algernon um mm-hmm. there's an episode on curb your enthusiasm which i haven't watched i'm not a huge curb your enthusiasm fan which people find funny for some reason um <sighs> one of the things that i did find very interesting reading the wikipedia article is there are people who get confused between this book, Flowers for Algernon, and Of Mice and Men. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I get that to some aspect because there's a mouse on the cover for Flowers for Algernon, Of Mice and Men, you know, you kind of get that. Two mm-hmm. very, very different stories, both featuring a character that is differently abled, um, mm-hmm. both with some sort of rodent. Um, at least of In Mice and Men, Lenny is with a rabbit. Um, George won't let me tend the rabbits. We had friends who would sit down at a table. I had one friend who was Lenny and one friend who was George. And I would just be like, Lenny, don't look out across the water. And she'd go, what are you talking about? I'm like, nothing, Never mind. We're good. We're good. I don't like that at all for you. <laughs> I was, I was a lit major shitlord. This is what I was. I, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm going to go ahead and say I'm not crazy about that. Oh. But there, there's literally an entire list of adaptations on Wikipedia. So if you're like, I would like to see the stage play, or I would like to see the stage musical. How do you make this a musical? I don't know, but I don't want to know what those songs are called. Um, evidently, it was also a Japanese drama in 2015 as well. Cool. Now I feel like I have to look that up. Did you put that in just because you wanted me to speak Japanese? No, I just thought it was interesting. It is. Uh, Did we have to read this in school? So we read the short story in eighth grade in Mr. Kluster's class. And Mm -hmm. um, I I don't think anybody got it. Mm -hmm. What about you? Mm -hmm. Uh, Did have to read the short story. I feel like I have a phantom memory of reading the novel, but I don't know anymore. Uh, but I 100% did read the short story. Thank you, Mrs. Lawson, who also made me read The Giver, because apparently you, like Don Bluth, hate children. So we got one listener question. 
Yes. And it was from Jessica G. And it was, did you cry? No, because uh, I take antidepressants. <laughs> I didn't cry because the world is burning around us. Otherwise, well, I think quite, if we like, read this this time, um, Sorry, if we read I think this if one, we read this like this time last year, we probably would have cried. Yeah. I think, I think we're all in a very different survival mindset like right now. Yeah. It's like, I didn't cry because I take antidepressants and even Bojack Horseman couldn't make me cry this time. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't even cry with Bojack and usually Bojack can make me cry like reliably. So we are going, as we kind of have indicated, into spooky season. We are. Um, October, I think we're recording like a little later in the month than we normally do. We are just because then it means that we can record on Halloween because it is a Saturday. Mm-hmm. Uh, so our next book that we'll be covering a little bit later into October is uh, The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Which I'm super excited to talk about. One, because I get to talk about Scotland. Mm-hmm. And two, because I get to talk about true crime. and about I get to talk about chloroform. Yes! Um, if you ever get the chance when things are lifted, Edinburgh, Scotland mm-hmm. is like the most amazing place for if you love ghosts, true crime, general fuck uppery, or um, you want to know about how people treat others who have a horrifying disease, um, which we already see that. Put them in a pit? Um, basically, we're going to board up your whole thing and then we're going to build a, a building on top of it. And yeah, put them in a pit. Several hundred years from now, we'll, we'll take people on tours in here. And a ghost will attack them, which was fun. Um, I say that sarcastically. So we are all over social media. We are. Um, we are at unfortunately required reading on Facebook. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. RR on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, required on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, required reading.com if you're like me and you don't really want to dig around. You just want everything in one place. That's totally fine. If you would like to contribute to the Wine and Cheese Fund, you are welcome to do so at anchor.fm slash unfortunately required reading. Your support is not mandatory, but is greatly appreciated. Thank you to patrons Chris and Jason for continuing to keep a metaphorical roof over our heads. And I believe that uh, we may have something special with one of our supporters coming up. We indeed may. Sometime soon. Yes. So, yes. I'm not going into details because we don't know the details yet. We're working on it. Um, Tori, I'm excited when we can have both books planned out a month in advance. Like, let's let's not get ahead of ourselves okay. here. Yeah, so we actually do know the two books that we're doing for October, which and is... And I'm thrilled. <laughs> it, it's mind-blowing. Usually it comes down to, like, 15 minutes before we're recording, and I go, oh, my God, what's our next book? Here's, like, four options, and we freak out. Tori, um, I just wanted you to just know that I now have too much power as an American. I can have CeCe's Pizza delivered to my house. What? CC's delivers through Grubhub, not yet a sponsor. Are they going to send you a macaroni and cheese pizza? That's the only thing I remember from there. I, I, the Alfredo, I would fight someone for. The Alfredo pizza, I would fight someone for. Um, so that was, a, that was the legal definition of an episode. Yep, I mean, I mean, we qualified it as an episode. Should I stop yeah. recording? <laughs> no, you don't have to. We still have two more things to say. We do. Oh. So if you want to suggest a book for the podcast and you don't want to do it on social media, um, or if you want to tell us a funny story or just bitch about literature in general, you can email us at unfortunatelyrequiredreading at gmail.com. Uh, stay safe, everyone. The world is on fire. But um, the cool thing about fire is that eventually it will go out. How much it takes with it, though, to be determined.
So with that uh, careful optimism in mind, go read a book. <laughs>